Welcome back, everybody. It is your Thursday edition of the Athletic Hockey Show. It is Ian Mendes, Sean McIndoe with you for the next hour or so. Coming up, we're going to be talking about that seismic uh, piece of news out of free agency. Johnny Goudreau to the Car- uh, Carolina, to the Columbus Blue Jackets. We didn't see that coming. Uh, we'll find out if Aaron Portsline did. He's going to join us uh, right off the top. I will talk about uh, some other moves in free agency. Battle of Ontario may be looming a large. Sean is going to talk about his initial reaction to the Matt Murray news because uh, I think that was uh, significant for Toronto fans. We'll talk about what's going on in Chicago and Calgary. Uh, we'll get a, uh, a voicemail from a, a fan talking about Nazem Kadri. We got some emails a little this week in hockey history as well. We'll look at the time Pittsburgh traded Yarmir Yager to a division rival for nothing. And Pat Quinn takes over as a head coach and GM. So we've got all of that coming up in the next hour. Well, I'll tell you what, though, Sean, like this, like to me, this is the story of free agency. Um, and we had dinner with him just the other day in Montreal. Aaron Portsline sat at our table. It was you, me, and Mark Lazarus, Kevin Kurz, Corey Massasak. And Aaron Portsline never once said, hey, guys, what if we uh, in Columbus got Johnny Goudreau? And I want to know. When we sat down for dinner a few days ago, was that was that even on your mind, Aaron Portsline, as we bring you into the Athletic Hockey Show? Was that even on your mind that this could happen? Ian, it wasn't on my mind at 3 o'clock yesterday. Like, wow. No, it wasn't on my mind. I don't think it wasn't on the Blue Jackets' mind at 3 o'clock yesterday. They did a press conference with Erica Branson in Nationwide Arena. There's no way that Yermo Kekalainen is cool enough to go talk Erica Branson for 45 minutes while he's got a negotiation with Johnny Gaudreau going on upstairs. It was sometime after that press conference that Gaudreau's camp got back to the Blue Jackets and and made it clear that yes, they're interested in negotiating. They're interested in this in this opportunity in Columbus, seven years, whatever the money was at that point. It ended just under seventy million. Um, I they didn't really know this was serious until mid afternoon, the first day of free agency. So. I wish I could say I was holding out on you as we enjoyed our, I had the halibut. Remember what you had? You had some sort of a delicious bouillabaisse, if I'm correct. Yeah, it was like a paella type of thing. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I was not holding out. I, I I had no clue at that time. So we usually at this time of year, when it comes to big free agents, we hear about these big splashy presentations and we hear about, you know, some of these guys do a tour and they come in and, Everybody's there to shake their hands and kiss their behinds and tell them uh, sure. why they should sign there. It it almost feels like this wasn't a case where Columbus sold themselves to Johnny Gaudreau. Like it feels like Johnny Gaudreau picked Columbus and then went to them and said, "I want to be a Blue Jacket. Make me a deal." Like is that is that an unfair way of describing it? I don't know that it's unfair. They did, you know, there was not a. They did not know in the days leading up to free agency that that they would be given uh, this sort of an audience with with Johnny Gaudreau and his representative Louis Gross. So, you know, it, it wasn't uh, you know here's the great neighborhoods, here are the great golf courses. This is what it looks like to be a Blue Jacket. It was an offer, which they've done this before, and I, I think teams may some people may be surprised by this. I think players kick tires with free agents that they really don't have a full expectation of landing. But if there's a miracle play there where it, it so happens that it's possible, then they'll move some things around to make it happen. Columbus was in on, I don't know about in on, but Columbus made a 
bid for Petrangelo a couple of years ago. They spoke offer sheet with Mitch Marner when he was up last time in Toronto. And they've tried these things before. I think the surprise here is that the response was, uh, yeah, we'd be up for that. And then it's sort of sort of like a, uh, wait, what? What? Seriously? Um, so then they started to put the full court press on. He didn't come to Columbus until today. We just had a press conference with him here this morning. He and his wife Meredith arrived. And they're back. They're heading back east uh, this afternoon. But I think if Columbus had an opportunity, they would have put together uh, an even more impressive package. But it came very quickly, and it, it got down to the nitty gritty term and dollars quickly. And the match was there. I mean, if Philly wants in on this thing, maybe it's different. If the Islanders want in on this, maybe it's different. It didn't seem that that the Flyers expressed an interest at all, which is shocking given the buildup uh, for that that particular move for more than a year now. So I think Columbus quickly started to figure out that it was them and the Devils, and they felt like they could play in that in that uh, competition. So they put their best foot forward, and here we are. What would How would you explain this to our listeners who may not be familiar with the Columbus market, Aaron? What does this do for the psyche yeah. of a Columbus Blue Jackets fan? Yeah, well, I think this, uh, you know, so it's been strange around here for a few years, and you guys have both been to Columbus, so you, I think most people who have come here frequently really like coming here, and frankly don't understand some of the abuse that the the city and the market has taken through the years. Um, and you know what, if you're not a, a fan of a specific team, maybe you don't do nuance particularly well regarding players and why they would have left. So some of the stuff gets lost in the shuffle. Did Panarin choose the Rangers over the Blue Jackets? He did. Did Pierre-Luc Dubois want out for reasons that have still not been explained? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Sergei Bobrovsky, they did not offer him a, a the massive contract that he was looking for. They weren't going to make him the highest paid goaltender in the league. But he didn't leave because he didn't like Columbus. Matthew Shane came here briefly, loved it. He left, but they didn't offer him a contract to stay. There are reasons for some of these guys uh, to leave, and and none of them have have said, "I just can't stand that city. I got I got to get out of there." And yet, that's the reputation that's been developed. But people who have come here, a lot of people who have played here, stay here. Uh, Cam Atkinson, Nick Foligno, we go back for years. They're still here. So many players stick around. Um, they needed something like this. I can write it. The management can say they love it. Current players can say they love it. Nothing really resonates quite like the top free agents available picking you as the destination. So he helps them immensely on the ice, obviously. But this is a from a morale and a, a just as a boost to the psyche of the Columbus sports fans and frankly the players here. Having something like this go down is really the only way you change that reputation, whether it's fair or not. It's the only way you alter it. And, and that's why it meant so much to them yesterday. So watching all those free agents leave a few years ago and then the, the Seth Jones trade last year, from the outside, it looked like what we're seeing in Columbus is, is I guess, what you would call the traditional rebuild. They weren't burning it to the ground the way that a team like Chicago is, but they were starting over. Build up, mm-hmm. slow but sure. 
is that a fair way to characterize it? And how does that change now that suddenly one of the best players in the league has has sort of dropped out of nowhere onto this roster? Yeah, it's a great question. So when this started, and really it started before Jones, it started with the trade of Polino and Savard for first-round picks late in that, I guess it would have been 21 season, 20 season, um, 21. And that was sort of when the vision started. And, and Yarmo Kekalina has called it a restart rather than a rebuild. We, I thought, honestly, for the first year that he was basically just playing semantics, that he just didn't want to say the word rebuild because of all the connotations with that. Um, and then last summer with the Jones trade, it started to become clearer what the plan was. And the plan wasn't uh, to get rid of all of your veteran players who have value. And I think we started to see signs of that with the Wierenski extension. We saw signs of that with the Corrali free agent contract. You're not signing a player like Sean Corrali, a third or fourth line centerman, if you're looking to tank. He's not coming here if that's your plan. Um, so they felt, even before the Gaudreau trade or uh, free agent signing yesterday, they felt as though they were on the right path to challenge for a playoff spot this coming season. I think this does nothing but put that into hyperdrive. Still questions on this roster for sure. Still some things that they need to fix, especially on the back end. Um, but I think his plan all along, Yermo Kekalainen, was to be a playoff team this season or darn close to it this coming season and to make this more of a, a regular occurrence now. He didn't plan to be down long. It, it was it was intended to be a quick uh, sort of turnaround. You keep the, these players you want to build around, the Boone Jenners of the world, Oliver Bjorkstrand. There's some good players here, for Vladislav Gavrikov. You keep those guys. You build around them. You don't want to rebuild the entire dressing room, which is, in his opinion, where a lot of the rebuilds have had a hard time getting traction. Uh, you don't know who you're drafting and what kind of leader that 18-year-old is going to be. And to just turn the keys over to a bunch of 18 and 19-year-olds is really risky business. So keep the veteran players, the veteran voices that you respect, build around that. They were down for a couple of years. Now they feel like they're ready to challenge again in the Metro. You know, I, I love the way that you finished your column on Wednesday uh, in which, you know, you, you said, hey, July 13th, 2022, Put that on the short list of the greatest days in franchise history. Yeah. Uh, let me let me ask you this question. Recency bias sometimes comes into play, and our answer would be, oh, no, it's definitely July 13th. If I gave Aaron Portsline the question, what is the greatest day in Blue Jackets history, what's your answer to that? Is it is it Wednesday, or is that recency bias playing a role? Well, that may be recency bias. I think, I think the um... – you know, for this organization, drafting Rick Nash one overall was huge. I think of the night that they extended him, his contract, when it looked like early on he may, there may be some friction there. That was a big moment. Um, there's been a lot of moments sweeping uh, Tampa in the first round of 2019. Big moment. Uh, and they've had other free agent signings that people have gotten really excited about. Adam Foote, you know, it's easy to... Forget that as 18 years ago or so, Adam Foote signed on here. And that was a prominent Canadian uh, hockey player, a star uh, from the Avalanche that came to Columbus. Nathan Horton, years after that, but neither of those guys were true superstars. They were stars for sure, but not superstars. I think what, what sets this date apart and why this date might become sort of a, a point of demarcation is 
we're talking about a transcendent figure. We're talking about a guy who's, you know, he's got a, he's got the great hockey nickname. You can almost, you can almost envision all these the kids in Columbus, Ohio, wearing Gaudreau sweaters and growing their hair out like Johnny hockey. He's got that ability that, that not a ton of hockey players do in some markets to, to reach beyond the ice and really excite people. Um, and I also think he's a magnetic type player where there may be guys that consider coming here in the future because he's here that wouldn't have otherwise. Um, and now the challenge is to keep the band together. But I, I think I think we'll look back on this date. I, and this is weird, too, but I look back in the first round of the draft last year. There haven't been many days like that in Columbus hockey where they trade Seth Jones for a, one hell of a return, end up getting Cole Sillinger at, at number 12 from the Blackhawks, get another first this year, which is going to turn which turned into David Yurichek. The way that that first round unfolded last year was a momentous day for this franchise too, but certainly this, this, is, a, this is a big deal, recency bias or no. Well, listen, I really appreciate you taking the time. And look, it's going to be fun. Look, the team that I cover, Ottawa, has been a non-playoff team the last few years. Yeah. They're being aggressive. They're pushing in. Yep. Columbus is doing that. I think Detroit, you can make a case, has been sure. pretty aggressive. It's going to be fun, isn't it, watching yeah. the Jackets, the Senators, and the Red Wings try and try and claw down. Because those eight teams in the East, they all had 100 points. So someone's going to have right. to take a step back. But this is going to be a lot of fun to watch in the uh, the months ahead. Yeah, it's also interesting to look at the teams up above and see if Pittsburgh is keeping the band together to the surprise of many people. Where is that going to go? Uh, Washington, these these great, great teams with proud, legendary players are starting to get up there a bit. What if Boston's the same way? Like, have these teams reached their crest and they're starting to come over the hill now? Um, maybe there's a changing of the guard in the east, and maybe this is the start of it. Yeah, no, it's going to be a lot of fun and appreciate the time because I know this has been a wild 24 hours yeah. for you. So uh, thanks for popping by. And why don't we give you a chance to plug uh, your podcast here because I'm sure that's going to be a lot of fun, right? Coming up uh, with the with the Johnny Goudreau news. Yeah, I mean, front and nationwide is the podcast at the intersection where beautiful nationwide arena sets. And uh, we're going to tee it up again today with the great producer, Danielle. Yeah, I think we'll talk about Johnny Goudreau today. That seems like a yeah. good topic. Uh, for Central Ohio. Yeah, I think so. You're safe uh, going with that. Listen, again, Front and Nationwide podcast. Uh, uh, check it out if you want some more on Johnny Goudreau. Uh, Aaron Portsline, thanks for uh, dropping by. Hey, always a pleasure, guys. Thank you. Thanks, Aaron. All right. Thanks again, Aaron Portsline, uh, for dropping by. That was an insightful conversation, Sean. I, let me ask you this question. When that news dropped on Wednesday that Johnny Goudreau was going to Columbus, what was your initial reaction? I was I was stunned. Uh, it, the way that I actually saw it was uh, I had been offline for a little while, and when I got back online, the first thing I did was I was I was checking uh, some of our uh, group Slack uh, channels because we were doing the live blog and stuff like that, and I, I saw uh, I think it was Eric doing a post something about Columbus and you know Columbus headspace, and I know that Aaron had had posted earlier in the day that hey Columbus might be in on this guy. And I thought, oh wow, is this getting traction? Like, are are people really taking this seriously? Wouldn't that be cool? Uh, and then as I was reading it, I was like, why is he? He's using like past tense, and you know, it's, and then I pieced it together. Like, he's writing this as if he he is actually as if this has yep. actually happened. And even then, my thought was, boy, that's a pro right there. He's covering all his bases. Look at that. He's got his just in case Johnny Gaudreau goes to Columbus. 
Eric's got his piece all written and ready to go because it just my brain would not click over the fact that this had, had really happened. And of course, then I saw that it had. And I got to be honest, like as a as a fan of a team that wasn't in on this guy, it's great. It's great. You love to be surprised. You love to, uh, you know, see a, a big name on the move. It's it's a, you know, a fan base that, uh, you know, I can't imagine there's too many people out there that are are furious that uh, the, the Blue Jacket fans got one over on us. It's it was a very cool story. And and I've I, I was saying to somebody, I think this is I think I wrote it in the live blog. It, to me, this felt like the most surprising offseason moment since that infamous 2016 hour where everything happened all yeah. at once. The Taylor Hall trade, Weber for Subban and Steven Stamkos all happened in, in the same hour. This is the first time since then that there it just felt like something just came out of nowhere where you were like, I, I don't believe this just happened. Yeah. And and I think when you go back, like you like you said, usually when a guy signs on free eight, whether it's, you know, in the past it used to be July 1st or whatever in July, there's always a list of teams that it's like, yeah, it's down to these four or five. You almost never see some off the radar team show up and get a guy right, like on the on the day that free agency opens. Maybe if he doesn't sign somewhere and it ends up going five, six days in, then the field opens up. What I want to ask you, because you are, I mean, this is your niche. This is your jam. Is Johnny Goudreau signing in Columbus the most surprising, like, big-name free agent signing of all time? Like, where you were like, I got to pick my jaw up off the floor because I don't believe that guy just ended up there. I can't believe it. Yeah, I mean, it's it's hard to go back. It's 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 one of those things where it's kind of hard to remember, like, the pre-social media era because, you know, back then, you you – just a guy could have been in talks with somebody and you just didn't know about it. Like I remember Mark Messier going to Vancouver being a surprise. Maybe it wasn't to you. I mean, you know, with, with roots out there, maybe that was, you know, a rumble that was out there. But, uh, you know, to me, in my little East Coast world, it wasn't. Um, Solani and Korea both going to Colorado was definitely a shocker, especially since we, you know, we didn't think Colorado would be able to afford to do that. And then they both took a lot less money. But in terms of in the cap era and in the social media era where it just feels like every possibility gets mentioned and picked apart and, and everything before um, before anything happens, I can't remember anything comparable to this. Maybe with trades, yes, uh, you know, th- those sorts of moves. I, I'm not sure there's ever been a certainly a big name signing. Um, you know, John Tavares going to Toronto felt surprising. It felt, you know, like a big deal that that he would leave a team and that, you know, that he would choose Toronto. But that was everywhere. I mean, nobody was picking their jaw off the floor after that. We all knew that uh, that the Leafs were in the running there. Same with Artemi Panarin in New York. Uh, I can't remember one ever that came out of left field like this with a player anywhere near this stature. Can you? No, because I, my, my initial thought was Chris Pronger to Edmonton. But I was like, wait, that was a trade. That right? was a like, trade. Yeah. Yeah. Like. It's it's almost impossible to think about these moments where you you can't believe a guy signed there. Now, now look, I was surprised. I remember Ottawa signed Alexei Kovalev as a free agent. You got to remember that Kovalev had just come out of Montreal, where he was kind of a he had a weird relationship, but he was a very popular guy, right in in Montreal. And he left the Habs to join Ottawa, which was surprising. But Alexei Kovalev in two thousand nine or whatever isn't what Johnny Goudreau is in yeah. 2020, 
two, Sir, which is Sergey Gonchar going to the Senators was. Yeah, it was surprising, it felt like but a again, as well, but but that that was Gonchar in his thirties, right? It wasn't like yeah. here's Johnny Gaudreau uh, in, in in the prime of his career. I maybe our listeners can help us out with a holy smokes, I can't believe like, that guy signed there. I, I guess maybe the the closest that we've had as far as the really really big names was we all figured that we all knew Minnesota was in on Zach Parise. In fact, right. I think he was kind of the favorite. We knew that they were talking to Ryan Suter, although I think there were people that said Detroit or some other teams. I think a lot of us figured there was no way they could get both, that it was a one or the other, and that when it was announced that they were both signing in the same place, that really did feel like a major surprise just because you thought there that it, it would it had to be one or the other to have the two big free agents both pick going to the same place and going to a team in Minnesota that wasn't considered a marquee team, a marquee destination for free agents. That might be the closest. But again, even with that one, you immediately could go, uh, you know, they're both from the area. They both have these connections. They're best friends. And yeah, if you can make the cap work, I guess, it, it, of course, it makes sense. Um, so th- that might be the best I can come up with because it was both at the same time. But even then, it's uh, I, I don't think it, it lands at the same level as this one. No, and and even when it, some people might say, well, Mike Medano leaving the Stars to go to Detroit or Daniel Alfredson leaving Ottawa to go to Detroit. But those guys were at the end of the row, like end of the line, right? Like it wasn't yep. like Johnny Goudreau in his prime. So help us out listeners uh, and let us know a, a star as a free agent who bolts. And it's just like, I can't believe he ended up there. I can't believe that guy signed there. I feel like Johnny Goudreau is the answer. I, I, I don't think this is recency bias at play. This is, this is legitimately the most shocking signing in, 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 free agent history i think but but again we 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 certainly leave room to be uh wrong on that one now you talked us through where you kind of saw the johnny goudreau news and you you were able to say hey listen uh, you you weren't necessarily emotionally attached to the situation because the team that you love the toronto maple leafs weren't in the running for johnny goudreau mm-hmm. the team that you do love uh see the mm-hmm means you know what's coming yeah i want you to walk our listeners through now i tell me if i was the first one uh, on I think it was Monday night. See, I had heard rumblings. Hey, this Matt Murray deal is close. And I tried to poke around, and then somebody said to me, "Look, I think, I think this is going to be the deal, and it's going to be Ottawa is going to retain twenty five percent of Murray's salary. They're going to give up a third and a seventh." And I was like, "Okay, that's it." And I, I, I was like, "Okay," and I, I didn't feel comfortable putting that out there. I'm not really one of these. I just, I just news breaking isn't my thing. I, I like to analyze more than break. But I sent, I think I sent that to you before I, it had really gotten out there. And I want you to express to the listeners what your reaction was when you found out that this was the trade between Ottawa yeah. and Toronto for Matt Murray. Because, because I mean, the timeline here is the the Leafs have been linked with Murray for for a little while now. And I didn't, I'll be honest, I didn't pay much attention to it because I thought there's, there's no way. Leafs are one of the smart teams. They're not getting, they're not getting suckered in on this one. And then by, by Monday, it became apparent that this deal was going to happen. We just didn't know what it was going to look like. Uh, and at that point, I, you know, a part of me sort of went into panic mode thinking like, oh, what's, what are they going to get themselves into here? But there were lots of scenarios kicking around, right? You know, it could be 50% retained. Could there be a second team involved? Could this be a case where the Leafs have told the senators, you will get another team, do a 50, 50 
retention, we'll take them at, off your hands at 25%, but that's, that's it. That's the best we can do. Hey, who knows? And then you send me this text. and You say, I think this is the deal. And I mean, do you remember what I replied? Do you, um, you my, my exact response? I have it right here. I'll, I don't mind. Okay, uh, yeah, call it I up. Will read. I, I, here's, yeah. here's the private. So you text me and you say, what do you think of this deal? And you list is exactly what turns out to be the trade. But this is before it's been announced. Um, and my first response, I say, if the Maple Leafs are paying 75% of Matt Murray, it's a disaster. Uh, and you, you then explained, you know, again, that you, this is, this is what you're hearing. And the text that I send then is I said, and this is a quote, good chance. This is the deal that gets Dubas fired if that's what it is. And within half an hour, we found out that that is indeed what it is. And, uh, in a few days since, look, I've, I've had a chance to step back. I've had a chance to read, uh, much smarter people than I, uh, give their takes on the deal. I have heard from uh, some very smart people who work at NHL organizations, some of whom think Matt Murray is is uh, underrated uh, in the in the public eye, uh, based on numbers they have access to, and uh, others who don't really seem to think that. I still think my initial reaction is the right one, and uh, I I stand by what uh, what I put in that text, which I guess is now what I've said on the podcast, which is not to be clear that Kyle Dubas should be fired for this trade. I'm not saying this is this trade is a disaster. I'm not saying this trade is absolutely cannot possibly work. Of course it could work. It's goaltending. Who knows? But I do think that there is a good chance that uh, we end up looking back on this trade as the beginning of the end of, of Kyle Dubas. And, uh, and, and I say that as someone who has been a big fan of his and remains a big fan of his. I think he's a very good GM. I think he's a very smart guy. I think he's had more good decisions than bad as the Leafs GM. But this is an all-in bet. This is an all-in bet on a team that is Stanley Cup ready, that needs to win something, desperately needs to win something, and has known for a very long time now that goaltending was going to be the big question mark of the offseason. And this is the answer that they gave. A guy who was essentially the third string on one of the worst teams in the league. And they pointed at him and said, at a slight discount on his salary, that's the guy we're going to plug in. And we're going to push all those chips into the middle for our Stanley Cup run. It could work. It absolutely could work. In this league, uh, the way goaltending goes, yeah, it could work. And then I'm getting tagged with this a year from now. Uh, I'm on cold takes exposed that that could absolutely happen. And I'd love it if it did. I'd, I'd be, so, I'd, I can't imagine being happier to be wrong than I would be on this one. But man, this feels like a risk, an enormous risk. And the fact that, um, Pierre Dorian was able to push Kyle Dubas into a corner and get him to say yes to this deal, even knowing that Pierre Dorian probably didn't have a lot of options uh, for a player who was not going to come back to the Ottawa Senators. Um, great work by Pierre Dorian. Uh, it's not the most inspiring work I've ever seen from Kyle Dubas, and, and we'll see how it goes. If it goes bad, I, then yes, I think this is the trade that uh, spells the end, uh, unfortunately, for uh, uh, this version of the Maple Leafs front office. Well, here's the thing. Look, I've watched Matt Murray the last two years in person, um, I see it. Like, I know there's a lot of, I, I put myself in the minority on this one. 
I think he still has it. I really do. Like I saw, I've seen enough out of him to say, I, I can understand how he won two Stanley cups. Like, I know there's some people who are saying like, where's that guy? Where's the, I've saw, I saw him. I watched him stop 39 of 40 shots, um, multiple times in Ottawa. It's the injuries that are the issue. And, um, yes, I do think this is a gamble. There's the, I, I won't sugarcoat that, but I think, would you not agree with me on this? At the end of the year, when Toronto got knocked out again in round one, this time by Tampa, and this comes off the heels of, you know, losing the Habs the year before, whatever. And the feeling of, of people saying, oh my God, they're going to run it back with the same crew. They're not. They're taking a gamble. Like, he's taking a big gamble, which is what some people thought he should do. I, yeah, I understand that's, that's that the gamble you don't want to make in goal, right? Yeah, I, I, people you don't want to make people it in said, goal. don't run it back, you can't bring back the same crew, they didn't mean bring back all the same core with a worse goaltender. That's, that's not what anyone was looking for. They were looking for shake up the core four, make a big move up front, clear cap space, bring in a, a big name somewhere. Nobody was saying bring back everybody bring back all the skaters, but downgrade the goaltending as, as your big move. Like that's, that's not what any fan was out there asking for. No, but I, I what I'm saying is I, do, I don't think he's a downgrade. I, and I, I, and again, I know I'm in the minority on that. He just mm. has to, there's two things with Matt. One is he's got to stay healthy. Okay. But second, secondly, um, like a lot of athletes, I think he needs trust. I think he needs to know that he's wanted. I think he needs to know that he's respected. I think he needs to know that uh, he's the guy. I think that they're going to give him that chance to start. It's going to be fascinating to watch it play out. But he has one of the most atypical career arcs of all time. Like, first of all, uh, it, it's, it's almost Ken Dryden-esque the way he won that first Stanley Cup, right? Where he really wasn't mm -hmm. a regular season goalie. He wins, okay? Then he comes back the next year and he wins again. And now you're looking at a guy who's won two Stanley Cups before his 25th birthday, I think. I mean, there was a time, and correct me if I'm wrong, when we were talking about sending Olympic athletes from the NHL to, where was 2018 uh, Olympics? Pyeongchang, right? Anyway, there's a lot of people who said, that's our goalie. Like, that guy just won two Stanley Cups in a row. Matt Murray will be Canada's best chance in goal. And for whatever reason, I think concussions have played a role. I think, uh, you know, just bad fits have played a role. He's 28. Uh, I can see it. I like, I guess my point is I understand Dubas's thinking here, even though a lot of people don't, I do. Um, and I think it's a worthwhile gamble. I like Ilya Samsonov too. Like now, like now I think, okay, I think you've stabilized the position a little bit with Samsonov. You're asking these guys to win you, what, 45 games during the regular season? And I think if Matt can win you 30 games in the regular season and is ready for game one of the playoffs, I think you're going to like where you're at. But the last four years have told you that's not a guarantee. Well, He's not a 55-60 game guy. He's a 40-game guy, 45 games. So he, you got to hope he comes in and he's like, you know, wins 30 of his 45 starts or whatever, and, and he's ready to go. But this is going to be fascinating, and I completely agree with you that Kyle Dubas's security is directly tied to 
Matt Murray in the crease. I would yeah. agree with that assessment and, for sure. And look, I I'm glad that you mentioned the injury history and how important that is because it's important that that be understood as part of the risk that the Leafs are taking in this deal, which is to say, if Matt Murray goes out and he plays good for a month and then he gets hurt again, and and that derails the season, the Leafs cannot point at that and say, well, the guy got hurt. I mean, the guy getting hurt has been part of his story for years now. Uh, and maybe the Leafs feel like there's something they can do um, to make that less likely. As far as the the psychology of it, um, yeah, I mean, clearly the fit in Ottawa wasn't there. This would ordinarily be a change of scenery situation where you'd say maybe just getting out of there a place where he clearly by the end wasn't appreciated, wasn't wanted. Maybe, maybe that alone provides a lift, but he's going to Toronto. He's going to the biggest magnifying glass spotlight, whatever you want to call it, that you can have in the league. And he's going as the most controversial addition. Uh, he is going to be one of the most watched players in the entire league next year. So if, if that is a part of what it takes to get Matt Murray back on track, then this is a terrible landing spot for him. Maybe one of the worst possible ones. Um, you know, I, I I remember him as a cup winner, um, but that was five years ago. I, I I don't I don't concern myself too much with what happened five years ago when we have five years since to look back on. I don't care at all about what he was like in Sault Ste. Marie when Kyle Dubas knew him. I don't care at all about what he was like as a ten year old when this goalie consultant the Leafs have apparently knew him. And we're supposed to believe that, like, you know, wow, I knew him as a little kid is is some sort of qualifier that, that should give us confidence. I, I wish that I could, you know, we, we all know that we look at goalie, well, we, his save percentage was this, his goals against average. We know those aren't good numbers. We know that teams have got much better data on these goaltenders that they don't share publicly. I would love to be able to sit there and go, the Leafs must know something. Maybe the Leafs have got some numbers that show us that this guy's better than we think. But unfortunately, it's this is the same team that went and got Peter Mrazek last summer and bet big on him and had it blow up. So uh, unfortunately, they don't get the benefit of the doubt on having some sort of secret sauce when it comes to goalies that uh, maybe some other teams do. What I see here is a team that got backed into a corner, a team that that went into not even an offseason, went into the second half of last season, realizing that they had an issue in goal, realizing that this is where it was going to wind up, that they were, they were going to have to move on from the pair they had, that there was a good chance they would lose Jack Campbell. They, they've known all this for a long time. They came into an offseason where it felt like there was going to be a big game of musical chairs with goaltenders, guys available in trade, free agency, shaking loose, what have you, and that one at a time, those names disappeared off the board. And I don't know how far down the list Matt Murray would have been as far as their options. But eventually they got to a point where he was the best name that they had on the list. And the Ottawa Senators sniffed that out and forced them to to pay through the nose in terms of the salary. I mean, I don't care about the third and the seventh round pick. Forget that. The Leafs are trying to win a Stanley Cup. That doesn't help them at all. Um, It's the cap hit that matters. And, you know, at, through all of this, to get to a point, to manage yourself into a point where Matt Murray is your only answer, and you don't even feel like you can tell Pierre Dorian, look, look, it's 50, you, you retain 50% or go find somebody else. Good luck. And you hang up the phone, you wait for him to call back. They didn't feel they could do that. In fact, it sounds like 
Dorian pulled that card on them and said, it's 25%, you call me back. And they called back. And, and I will tell you, I've heard from Leaf fans saying, you know, who else is available on Monday morning? When, you know, when Monday rolls around, who, who would you rather have? It's not about Monday morning because Kyle Dubas didn't become GM on Monday morning. He didn't suddenly get hired and walk in and go, oh my gosh, it's, there's only three goalies left on the market. They had all summer and they had before the summer. They had into last season to think ahead. And they played their cards in a way that led to Matt Murray at not that far off, five million a year with all of those what ifs and all those question marks and all those gambles. And that's the guy you're pinning your Stanley Cup hopes on. You can't tell me that this was anywhere near plan A, B, or C. I don't know how far down the list it went, but they, they managed to get themselves into this situation, and it, it had better work. And it might, but it had better. Because if not, uh, unfortunately, I think all the good work that went into building this team, uh, a lot of it goes out the window. And, and the last place I'll disagree with you is, I don't think they just need 45 wins. I mean, yes, granted, this team made the playoffs last year with 115 points with not very good goaltending. So, you know, are they going to miss the playoffs, even if Matt Murray stinks, even if Farlamont stinks? Not necessarily. I mean, we've seen teams do that, but that feels like a pretty low risk. But what did 115 points get them last year? Got them the Tampa Bay Lightning in round one. And it got them one goal away from winning a round, but they couldn't do it against quite possibly the second best team in all of hockey. A couple of extra wins, get them the number one seed, let them play the Capitals, let them play somebody else, different scenario. But they didn't get that. They need every win they can get uh, to get themselves in the best possible situation for an absolute make-or-break playoffs. There is no way that Matt Murray at $4.7 million is anywhere close to the best you can do in this offseason with everything that's on the line, the stakes as high as they are. I just can't imagine that this was anybody's idea of uh, of a good plan until it was the only plan that was left in front of him. You know, you, you mentioned Pierre Dorian's name a couple of times. They're saying, hey, some pretty tidy work in, uh, you know, getting rid of 75% of Murray's salary. I, listen, this has been the summer of Pierre. Uh, getting Alex to bring it, signing Claude Giroux, uh, you know, getting Cam Talbot, uh, getting out from under Matt Murray's contract. With minimal pain. The, the Senator's general manager has had the best offseason of any of his counterparts, in my opinion. And I, I'm not trying to look at this you know, through the Ottawa lens. I'm looking at this league-wide. I don't think anybody has done more for his team in the month of July than, than Pierre Dorian. And I got to ask you this question because you mentioned, hey, Toronto needs to have a better spot in the playoffs, get a weaker opponent in round one, and so they're not dancing with the, the Tampas and well, let me let me present this scenario to you. And you tell me on a scale of 1 to 10, 1 being no confidence, 10 being very confident. It's round 1 next year, it's Ottawa and Toronto. What is your confidence level for the Maple Leafs? Because remember back in the day, your confidence level would have been at 15. Oh, it's Ottawa yeah. in the first round. I think we know how this is going to play out. So, knowing everything that you know of where we sit here in the middle of July, and where the Leafs goaltending is, where Ottawa's on an upward swing, all that stuff, scale of 1 to 10, Ottawa-Toronto, best of seven series. What's your confidence level? Do the Leafs have the cap space to hire Gary Roberts to just sit on the end of the bench and glare at Senators? That's worth a win for sure in that series. Yeah. Look, I mean, 
I agree. I, I, full agreement. Everything you said about what the senators have done this this summer. I love that the senators fans get to even realistically finally talk about the playoffs. Not not the way they did last summer, where they were like, "Hey, we're we're gonna make a run at the playoffs," and everyone else was kind of side eyeing it, going, "What? Why would you think that?" And then, sure enough, they had the season they had. Um, look, if the Leafs play senators in the playoffs, the Leafs should be overwhelming favorites. Um, just like they were against Montreal, just like they were against Columbus. What would my confidence level be? It would be low. Uh, I mean, of course it would be low. This, it, My confidence level for this Leafs team in the playoffs would be low uh, against pretty much anyone. And look, let's see how it goes. If, if, if this is the Toronto Maple Leafs and they're a 110-point team and Matt Murray has played 60 games and he's looked great and I can't open Twitter without somebody saying like, hey, remember when you thought that was a bad trade? Ha ha. Then I'll feel pretty good. Uh, you know, and Austin Matthews is the MVP and Mitch Marner's looking good again and everyone's healthy. I would feel pretty good against even the best possible version of this this Senators team right now. Um, if they're just stitching it together, overcoming bad goaltending, uh, as opposed to uh, being lifted up by decent goaltending, then not as high. Um, and, you know, there's uh there there are some rivalries and you know who knows if this would end up being one where a lot of times the results during the season don't seem to matter all that much and you just kind of wind up with uh you know feeding off the emotion uh the momentum of it more than anything senators would have a puncher's chance against the leafs absolutely everybody does everyone does in the playoffs even if they'd be underdogs um it'd be a hell of a thing though it'd be a fun one to watch for uh yeah. for everyone else especially with full fans in the building um i don't know i mean we Leafs, uh, Leafs big issue is uh, a lot of times they haven't been able to win the big game at home in the playoffs. They get seven shots at doing it in this series, at least. Wow. I knew, I knew I was waiting for some, some comment about the, uh, the, the crowd. I was waiting for it. There you go. Um, yeah, it, it'd be a lot of fun, especially if Matt Murray was the goalie and, and, you know, all Brady Kachuk's first playoff series, like that would just be, be a ton of fun. And listen, I think Ottawa's done a pretty good job of improving in the offseason. I think, as we talked to Aaron Portsline, I think the Jackets have clearly improved. I like what Detroit has done, too, in goal with Billy Husso and David Perron and a couple of other things that they've done. I, I, I like Detroit. I want to just go to the other side of the ledger for a second. I want to talk about two teams that I don't know what they're going to do and how they're going to move on. One, let, let me start with Chicago because it became obvious with the Alex DeBrinkett trade. Uh, they, were, they were taking a... a a match to this thing and they were lighting it and they were they were burning it down like to the ground studs and all uh it's all coming down um what would you tell a chicago fan right now what would you tell a chicago fan about what what this season might be like i mean i i don't even know that chicago fans need me to to tell them because i they're smart fans they know what this is and they know that it makes sense for two reasons i mean first of all you you do have the you know, Connor Bedard, this is the year to tank. And also you've got a brand new GM. And look, Kyle Davidson is potentially being smart for the Blackhawks, but he's being very smart for Kyle Davidson. He is making sure that expectations are absolutely as low as possible. And, and that will buy him as much time as a brand new GM in this league to uh, to get the lay of the land and, uh, and, and to get the experience before there's any pressure to start building. Uh, I would say that the the one piece here, and and again, Chicago fans don't need me to hear that. Don't need to hear this from me. But you go you go through all of this as ugly as it might get, as bad as the team might be, you're getting a twenty percent chance at Connor Bedard. 
and you're getting about a 40% chance at one of the top two prospects. And depending on who you talk to, there's there's maybe two great prospects. Maybe there's three great prospects at the top of this draft. And if so, then that changes the equation. Because then if you finish last, you're guaranteed you get at least one of those because there's only two, two lottery spots uh, up for grabs. Um, but after that, I, the, the teardown is the easy part. And the finishing dead last is is often the easy part. It is the part where you start patching it together to build back up that's tough. Yep. And you look no further than the Buffalo Sabres, right? The, the most comparable, most memorable tank job that we've seen um, in terms of, of what the Blackhawks are doing was, was the Sabres in 2014 and 2015, and they never came out of it. And now they're back to back to square one. Um, that's the worst case scenario, but, uh, you know, have... Even as you are giving your GM time, and even as he is is very clearly trying to buy himself time, you, you got to watch carefully and make sure you. The question to keep asking is, what is the plan when the tank is over? Um, because it it can't just be that the plan is we get Connor Bedard and then he comes in and, and magically makes everything better. Um, there's got to be more to it than that. That's the hard part, and and it's not unfair to be asking questions about that even now saying what is what is the post-tank era going to look like and what is an actual plan in place or is it just hope uh, because hope is not a plan. You know, and the other team I want to talk about is Calgary for a second because, look, the Flames, I think they can, they can Brad Treliving and that group can sleep well knowing we made an aggressive offer to Johnny Goudreau. We didn't lose Johnny Goudreau for money and I think Flames fans know that. They're not, they're not mad at management for letting him walk out the door. They know that they probably never really had a chance to resign him. But Sean, this was a team that had Stanley Cup aspirations last year, not just playoff. They had, hey, we can win this whole darn thing aspirations last year. Now they lose Goudreau. Kachuk is an RFA, and that could be a sticky situation. Got some other holes. What's going on in Calgary? Like, wh- where are the Flames going to be in six months from now? We, we talk about how great it is when big name stars get to free agency and then surprise us and then go somewhere. And, you know, as a neutral fan, the Johnny Gaudreau drama yesterday was fantastic. This is the flip side of it. This sucks for the Calgary Flames. This is really, this is really awful to, to lose a franchise player like this. And also, you know, especially to do it in a league where it so rarely happens. Uh, and so you're left with, uh, you know, this feeling of why us, you know, and, and, the fact that it was, it would almost be better if it was about money. It would be better if he went somewhere where they, you know, the flames just couldn't, couldn't match or wouldn't, you could blame a cheap owner. You could blame the cap when it's a guy just saying, look, I'm making the choice that I want to be somewhere else. It it's, it's devastating. Yep. Uh, and it's, and it's, it sucks. And I mean, we saw it. Islander fans went it through with, with John Tavares and, uh, you know, you could have all the heartwarming pictures. Oh, look, he was a Leaf fan as a kid. That that didn't make anyone feel better there because in anything, it makes them makes them feel worse. Just like I'm sure it makes Flames fans feel worse. And so, well, Johnny Gaudreau wanted to play closer to home, kind of. Um, and you're sitting there going, so you know, we never had a chance then. You you had one eye on the out the door the whole time. Um, I don't know where they go from now. Uh, you know, they've got some money to spend now. I guess is the good news. Uh, you know, any concerns over Matthew Kachuk, but theoretically should go out the door because you've you've got all the cap room now. Uh, but I mean, who do you go 
spend that on in free agency. It's, you know, they're in a league where there's one Johnny Gaudreau at most on the market every year. If you're the team that loses them, what, what do you do? I mean, could you go get Nazem Kadri? Maybe. But that's it's a dangerous situation because he you now the temptation is to go overpay for somebody. You pay too much and now you're locked into a bad contract on top of everything. I don't have any really reassuring words for Flames fans. This stinks. Like this is this is really really hard, and uh, it's the sort of thing that you know uh, it 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 takes something out of you as a as a hockey fan, and it kind of makes you feel a little a little dumb for for investing as much as you probably did, especially with a real good team last year. They've still got pieces in place. This can still be a good team, um, but they're not going to be as good as they were last year. They can't be, and uh, it's it's because one guy didn't want to be there. And that's his right, but it's uh, it's your right as a Flames fan to to be pretty devastated by it. Yeah, I, I see the the nickname that they've uh, labeled uh, Goudreau with is Johnny Walker because he just walked out of town. That's what they're calling him, Johnny Walker. Uh, that's not, all right, not, not, no not Johnny Hockey. Um, not too bad. That's pretty good. All right, hey, hey listen, you mentioned Nazem Kadri uh, there in 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 terms of hey, maybe that's how the the route the Flames go. We're going to get to a voicemail here in a second as we open up our mailbag and uh, take some, some voicemails, emails, that type of thing. Just want to let our listeners know Jesse Granger, who usually joins us for A Little Granger Things, brought to you by BetMGM. Uh, Jesse, not with us this week. Um, he's covering the Vegas Golden Knights uh, development camp. Uh, Sean, by the way, fun fact, Jesse never knew that there was a development camp until this year. Like, he was yeah. like, what, what do you mean? We have prospects? <laughs> Whoa, 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 develop whoa, whoa, whoa. what? What do you do? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So now he's getting a bitter p- a pill of realizing, hey, wait a minute. They, they, they have kids skating around in the summertime? Nobody ever told me this. So anyway, that's where Granger is this week. So uh, he'll, he'll hopefully join us next week. Okay, going to open up that mailbag, uh, show at gmail.com. Leave us a voicemail at 845-445-8459 like this guy did. This is an unknown caller uh, from Michigan, from Ann Arbor, actually. And uh, I mentioned Nazem Kadri. He's got a potential landing spot. And again, we should point out when we're recording this uh, late in the day, Thursday, uh, Nazem Kadri is yet to sign anywhere. So uh, this caller from Ann Arbor has a, a potential landing spot for Nazem Kadri. With the draft over, uh, one of the teams that still desperately needs a second line center is Boston. Nazem Kadri is still available. So if he can go over to Boston, would that mean that Marshawn and Kadri could be one of the most hated duos in the NHL again? And that could totally turn Boston around. If that's the case, does Boston make another run at the cup? Thanks, guys. Love the show. All right. Uh, boy, that uh, I, I never even thought about what a um, dynamic duo of hatred that would be. Nazem Kadri and Brad Marshan. That would be mm-hmm. quite the pair. Um, what do you think? What do you think of the idea? Nazem I- Kadri in Boston. It's interesting. And I mean, the, the caller says Boston doesn't have a second line center. Boston doesn't have a first line center right now because the Patrice Bergeron signing that we we all assume is going to happen has not been made official. Uh, David Krejci sounds like he's on the way back. But again, as we're saying this, uh, that hasn't been locked in. So, um, yeah, I mean, he would certainly, I, I tell you, they'd, they'd love the guy in Boston eventually. But the problem here maybe it's not a problem boston fans could tell me uh, you know did you talk about nazim kadri you think of the playoff suspensions two of those came against the bruins he was the guy that handed the bruins you know largely two playoff series based on uh the, getting himself uh, suspended when he was with the leafs can you forgive that did you even need to forgive it seeing that you won the series so you got the last laugh 
I don't know. I mean, that would be absolutely fascinating. My good, I'm trying to picture Nazem Kadri coming in Toronto as a Bruin oh and, uh, and, and throwing his weight around. But um, <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I don't see it. Certainly not if, if the Bergeron-Krejci uh, deals happen. But if one of those were to fall through, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, anyway, it's going to be it's going to be interesting to see where 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 Kadri ends up. Like I said, when we are recording this uh, podcast, he hasn't signed. So if he has signed by the time you're listening to this, obviously we uh we did not know that. All right, let's let's open up the emails here. Like I said, the Athletic Hockey Show at gmail.com. Grant writes in, says the hockey world desperately needs an in-depth reporting piece from Ian about how um Eugene Melnick's daughters are running the Senators and going to lead them to their first playoff berth in 6 years. Well, Tell you what, Grant, um, that it, it is a fascinating story. You know what, Sean? I don't know if you saw the picture, Sean, but Eugene's two daughters, Anna and Olivia, were at the draft table um, in Montreal last okay. week. And, and, you know, it's just for an organization, and, and, and we obviously did some in-depth reporting there, that an, for an organization that was so wrapped up in not being forward-thinking uh, and progressive, to have this be the t- technically the very top of the org chart, it is very cool to see. It is. I, it is so great to see. Um, you know, I, I would love it if at some point they I, – I, I highly doubt I would be the uh, person they would select to, to interview them. And I, and I yeah, totally – I, I understand and res- – yeah, and I understand and I certainly respect that. Like I don't want anybody to think that I would actually be up I, – I, I have nothing but um, – respect for those two young women and I I I would never in a million years uh expect them to to grant me five minutes of time. Like that's that's their decision and I I would never I would never feel bad about that um or feel like, oh man, I can't believe they're not they're not speaking to me. That's that's their prerogative and, and I, I don't and I certainly would ever blame them. But it's a damn good story. And I don't know. I I'd be curious if anyone's gonna end up getting an interview with them. But it's uh, wouldn't wouldn't you be fascinated to uh, to read a story about yeah them absolutely and, and, and what, what they're doing what exactly is happening what uh, yeah. how much influence do they have and you know even if it's just a case of picking up a phone with Pierre Dorian calls and says I can get a forty to fifty goal score he he's not going to be cheap I can get him cheap but he's not going to be cheap to sign are you on board with that and you get the green light yeah I mean this is. This is uh this is what Senator fans have been waiting for for a long, long time. And uh yeah, it's it's a great great story that's getting painted in Ottawa right now. Yeah for a change. No, it's, yeah, it's great. And it's I'm 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 happy to see it. Uh now George has an idea for you, Sean. Okay. As usual, mm-hmm. a lot of your really um fun, quirky column ideas come from readers, listeners, what have you. Okay. George has one here. Now, actually, maybe you could. I can't remember. Did we talk about your number one column last week? About I feel like we did. We did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We did. I feel like we probably did. But uh, George writes in and says, "Listen, after reading your column last week, I'm curious. Um, what team could you assemble if you look at their draft history and try and put the." together the best team of players that when you add up where their draft position was i.e you know austin matthews was first overall so that counts for one point could you put together a team whose draft position 
including all of the numbers, it adds up to 50 or less. Mm. And like how low could we go? How low could West you go? Man. This is pretty this I love this idea. I think Tampa Bay is the winner. Based I think it on, is. And, and we should point out right? based on George's examples that he's giving here, we're we're doing this by position. So it's not three forwards. It's a center, a left winger, a right winger. That's always as as a veteran of the fake roster uh battles. Right. That's always the key. And it's all it's always those damn left wingers that uh they get you, but uh, yeah, you could uh, you could play with that, and and there would obviously be some teams that just would not be uh, would not feature prominently because they don't pick high very often. Um, you know, Red Wing fans would be like, "Let us know when you do the highest total uh, that you can get, and then then yeah. we'll we'll jump in there with all our sixth and seventh round lottery tickets." But yeah, I might uh, I might do something like this sometime because uh, it is. Uh, uh, you know, there are some teams have had more first round or first or high picks than others. I, you, you think of Edmonton, right? You can start McDavid, Dreisaitl. That's uh, four points used to get you uh, two pretty good forwards. Uh, you got to find a right winger and two defensemen and a goalie. The goalies are the tough one. Goalies are always the tricky ones when it comes to high draft picks. But uh, there's probably a few. I wonder what you could do with Montreal with Carey Price. Yeah, because he goes fifth overall. But the problem for them is that they really haven't picked high. I mean, they've got what? Yes, Barry Kotkaniemi. Uh, yeah, Slavkovsky. They have picked like, Galchenyuk. They picked high. The problem Galchenyuk. is they picked good players high. Uh, so, uh, and then the other obvious one would be Pittsburgh. And I mean, Flurry and Crosby is a great way to start. But then you know you got Malkin, and Jordan Stahl, two more centers. You've already used that spot. Right. Um, you know, if you can if you can throw them on your forwards, then uh, then you're in really good shape. But um, even then, you got to find uh, you got to find the defenseman too. It's a tricky one. I, I you know what? Who knows? I might uh, I might take a look at that one. All right, let's uh, let's wrap it up with a little this week in hockey history. And you would think that the second week of July would be quiet in the hockey world uh, history, but uh, not so much. Let, let's go back. To, let's do a couple of these. July eleventh. 2001, yeah. July 11, 2001, the Pittsburgh Penguins trade Yaramir Yager to Washington. Um, first of all, do you remember the three guys that went back to Pittsburgh? Um, I remember that uh, none of them were any good. Yeah. Uh, it was three prospects slash like young players. And the, uh, the only one that I remember is uh, Chris Beach. Was Chris one Beach. of them, and then there was two other guys, and I don't. Did any of them ever even play? No, at all. I think I think there was a Chris Beach. There was mm-hmm. uh, Ross L- Lupuschuk, right? Does that ring a bell? <laughs> Ross Lupuschuk. Sure. Am I right on that? <laughs> you can say, yeah, as if I'm gonna. Uh, and, no, and then there was uh, another guy like Civic right, uh, or Svik. Uh, okay. Uh, yeah, it was like, it, I, it was a very weird trade because there was no. Like it, there wasn't when we say these three guys, it's not like they traded them for three first round picks and this is who they took. It was three prospects, no picks, no nothing. That's just what they got. Right. And so, OK, two questions to this, because right around the same time that this trade was made, which was Yager to Washington. That same week, if I'm not mistaken. Ottawa traded Alexi Yashin to New York and got the second overall pick, which turned out to be Jason Spezza, a gangly um, raw defenseman named Zdeno Chara, and Bill McCall. Like, yep. 
how could how could Yaramir Yager, who I think we can agree at the time was a superior player to Alexi Yashin, he, he just good. won the scoring title, right? What happened here? Like, how could this be? I don't understand. And, and then on top of that, how do you trade him to a divisional rival who arguably? I know that Pittsburgh, Washington went to next level once Sid and Ovi came on the scene, but you got to remember, they met a bunch of times in the playoffs mm-hmm. in the 90s. Like, yep. how are you trading him within the division? Like, what? Ha- like, I don't understand. If, if, I, if I remember, Pittsburgh had just beaten Washington in the playoffs that year. Um, I mean, look, this, this was obviously a financial uh, trade. This was Yarmir Yager was the, I believe, the highest paid player in the league. And back then, I mean, he was making probably 10, 11, 12 million dollars, similar to money to what Connor McDavid makes, which is has got to just um, absolutely make you roll your eyes if you're an NHL star that uh, the, the salary for the top guys hasn't gone up in 20 years. But uh, Pittsburgh couldn't afford him. They were teetering close to bankruptcy uh, and they had to move him. And uh, for whatever reason, uh, you know, there were lots of other teams that were in in bad financial shape back then. Um, I guess the market just didn't materialize at all. And and Washington, of course, has uh, they come in new owner uh, Ted Leonsis, I think, had had just appeared on the scene, wants to make a splash. Um, So they, you know, he agrees to to go out and and this is back in the days before you know where contracts like. A guy like Yager could say, if I'm going to be traded, I want an extension. I want to sign a big new contract somewhere. So I guess the market just wasn't there. But then you get you point to Yashin, and we all remember as part of that terrible trade, the Islanders given Alexi Yashin a 10-year mega contract. Why didn't Mike – well, you know what? I just answered my own question. Yeah. Why didn't Mike Milbury do the reasonable – okay, never mind. I don't need to go any further than that. Crazy. Um, it, it is. It's 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 nuts to me though that Yager went for for what he did when he was really at the pinnacle of his uh, of his career. Okay, one other this week in hockey history. We'll take it back to July fourteenth, nineteen ninety nine, where Pat Quinn, who already was the head coach of the Toronto Maple Leafs, also that summer assumed the general manager's duties. Uh, in the middle of July, nineteen ninety nine, he takes over GM head coach. Here's my question. Do we ever see a full-time head coach GM again? Man, probably not. I I mean, it's just so specialized these days. There's so many different roles. The front offices are getting so big. I don't uh, don't see a team ever doing it. Uh, I mean, do we even see, and you can help me with this, are there guys out there like Pat Quinn or Mike Keenan, or Brian Murray, or those sorts of guys anymore that that even can do both jobs. Like, other than you, you will occasionally see a GM step behind the bench very briefly. You will occasionally hear that there's a coach out there who wants to move up to front office, but that it's usually a one-way move. I know there have been some whispers that Barry Trotz might be interested in, in some front office power, where he goes next, and certainly he'd be a guy with the stature to to demand it. But you know, it used to be that there were guys like Quinn and and Murray and those guys that your team would hire them, and you'd go, "Oh, as what? As GM or as coach or as both?" Because you know they were viewed as jobs that that uh, had similar skill sets. And it just feels like these days it's so specialized that you would never see that again. 
but I, I would like to. It was cool. I like Pat Quinn as coach and GM of the Leafs. That was a great era. That was all sorts of fun. Uh, I don't know if the dual role had something to do with that, but it, it certainly puts one guy's uh, personality stamp right right on the team. And if it's a guy like Pat Quinn whose personality rocked, uh, it, you can end up having a pretty good team out of it. Yeah, you know, you're right. I feel like uh, that era is gone and done with. Like, I could see, I mean, Trotz would fit the bill uh, because he seems to have expressed interest. Like, I could see one of those, like, Don Waddell, Lou Lamorellos, like, things are off the rails, so they pop down and they coach for eight games. Yeah. Type of thing. I don't just don't see it full time. You know, I like you said, I think things are too specialized now. Yeah. It, it Well, I, I mean... And maybe it flips the other way that you could say that because the front officer is so specialized, hey, I, the GM doesn't do it all yeah. anymore. I got the cap guy to, to do the cap. I've got my assistant GM to negotiate the contracts. I got the scout to do this. I've got the analytics guys. Yeah, I could I could be the not not even the figurehead, but I could be the the boss of that group and also and also be coaching the team. Maybe uh you know you, you could see it at some point but uh it, it certainly does feel like that is something that has been left in the in the past yeah all right listen we'll we will uh leave it there uh is there any way when we connect next week there's no way that the next seven days can match the nuttiness of the previous seven right are we no right? absolutely none no there's, there's there is no chance at all we should i'm not even sure we need to do a show next week because yeah. there's absolutely no chance and just feel us like just poking the hockey gods in the chest right here, just daring them yeah. to try to trying to get them to drop a big story on us the next few days, preferably on Wednesday. Exactly. That's what we'll hope. For. All right. We'll leave it there. I want to thank everybody for listening to this Thursday edition of the Athletic Hockey Show. Uh, we'll get you again next week. Like I said, uh, email us to the Athletic Hockey Show at gmail.com. Leave us a voicemail at 845-445-8459. And if you're not a subscriber, uh, with us at The Athletic, you can join us at theathletic.com slash hockey show. Get an annual subscription for a dollar a month in the first six months. You can also subscribe to The Athletic Audio Plus at Apple Podcasts. Get our entire uh, library of bonus content from the network. You'll start with a 30-day free trial, and then it's just 99 cents a month after that. 